the KBB from the TAP podcast. I'm Managing Editor Leslie Claggett, and this week I'm happy to talk with Matt DeBarra, founder of DeBarra Masonry. He's a proud fourth-generation member of the Italian immigrant-built masonry company that is located in the greater Los Angeles area. Matt is also the co-founder of The Contractor Consultants, a business focused on revolutionizing the recruitment process by embracing technology to help construction professionals improve both their operations and their work-life balance. Today, we're going to discuss finding, hiring, and keeping qualified employees. Welcome, Matt, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. It, uh, it seems that both the contractor sector and the designer sector are having similar problems staffing. A lot of people are struggling in the first phase of the process, simply finding good job candidates. What can you say to them about the best way to fill their pipelines? Well, that's a great question. Um, and that's really where the first and the biggest hangup is for most people in in this in this sector trying to hire is filling what we call filling the candidate pipeline. Um, we when we made the contractor hiring course before we started actively doing this for clients, we had 37 proven ways to find candidates. Um, but one of the big things that I would just rattle off right off the bat is using and leveraging technology. So if the terms that I'm about to say, like geofencing, for example, aren't familiar to the listener, these are some of the reasons why your candidate pipeline isn't full. Geofencing, just to name one, is a technology where you can put an invisible fence around, let's say, a supplier, for example, or a competitor or a trade show. And if somebody walks through that physical location and they happen to be on their phone, computer, or tablet, they can actually see your hiring ads. So it's just one example of a technology that puts you in front of the right candidate. Um, you know, with with the right ad, it can be very powerful. Sounds like it. Yes. Um, uh, what factors make the interview process so difficult to manage for people? So it's funny because all the stuff that we do now really came from my trials and tribulations. So you know, five years ago, um, four years ago now, uh, I struggled with this exact issue and it came out of necessity, everything that we're, we're sharing with you. And specifically the interview process. See, we we have... Most of us have an interview process that's built from the old, what I call the old way of hiring. My family's been in the construction space for 104 years now. So when I say old, I mean, things haven't changed much in the hiring space for many, many years. And that process is typically a 30 minute or one hour. It's an in-depth interview. And it doesn't work when you figure out the first step. So the most important thing to take control of your hiring is to have a really big candidate pipeline. You need lots of people that you're attracting interest from. Then the next problem is the interview. If you have a traditional one-hour interview, it absolutely devastates your calendar. I remember when I figured out how to, when I first, what I call cracked it, right? When I had, I think I probably had 40 or 50 candidates apply within the span of two or three days using digital strategies. And my calendar was absolutely blocked hour a piece, right? I'm doing 10 hour days, just interview, 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 interview. And so the important thing to understand is that there's three main steps essentially in an interview. There's the pre-screening, which is 
do you have the base core core competencies we're looking for, right? If you're in the field, it's like driver's license vehicle. If you're in the design space, which is what we're talking about, you know, it might be a certain level of education. It might be a certain number of years at a firm, those types of things. That's the first step. Those should be quick and easy. The second step is a is what we call the mid-level interview, right? And that's where you're qualifying some of the soft skills, how they present. You're digging into that experience more. And then the most important thing, and if you're listening, you're taking notes, this is one thing you can implement, is a, some type of a skills assessment. Now, we have clients in the kitchen and bath design space across the country at this point, and what they implement is some form of a hard skill set based, typically paid, um, but not always. It can be much, much less involved and unpaid, but an assessment that that demonstrates the hard, the hard skills. So... I'll give you an example. Uh, we have one client and what they do is they have a uh, uh, set of plans. It's a kitchen and bath remodel from a competitor. And in their eyes, they don't like it. So what happened was they took over the design and they made a bunch of changes. So they give this design to the prospective candidate and they say, hey, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. You have two hours, write up a bunch of notes on what you would change and how you would improve this design. And what they found is that they can very easily sift, sort, and screen candidates based on how they respond to this simple, easy assessment. Because especially in the design world, it's it's both an art and a science, right? If you take three people at the same firm and you give them the same project, you might find that they interpret the client's needs and the use of the space a little bit differently, right? There's a core congruency from the firm, I'm sure, but you'll notice subtle differences. So a skills assessment in the interview process is crucial and having a way to quickly sort and screen candidates in the initial phase is very important because if you wait four or five days to put them into a one hour formal interview, that candidate is applying to other jobs. Of course, of course. Um, and your um, your example of uh asking a, a candidate to uh, evaluate and comment on an existing design, that can just be a standardized test, can't it? I mean, you don't have to have a, a real competitor's design. You can just develop your own uh, Correct. Yes. Yeah. In this instance, they block out the, comp I should have said this, so they don't have the competitor's name or anything like that. It's, it's What they did is they took a real life example of something they had already completed and then they basically, because they had the finished product, right? So they had this full cycle and it was an easy way. So they blocked out competitor's name. They blocked out all of that information. And they said, hey, here's the design. Let's say you get this from a client. They say, look, we were, we're working with a designer. We didn't feel like they understood our concept. This is what we have. Here's the photos of the space. What would you do? That's the assessment. So yeah, the competitor part, it's just, it was an easy, quick way for them to build out a full cycle assessment, but they could do it internally. We have other clients that have their own way of doing it, which is, is different for sure. And this doesn't take up any more of your time, or the, the hiring firm's time. Uh, you can just give this problem to the candidate and have them turn it in again, right? Correct. Yeah. And we we highly, I mean, usually if it's something that's going to take more than about 20, 30 minutes, we usually, we we find best results when you're willing to pay for that. You know, you compensate a modest hourly wage, um, but it shows interest. It shows it shows a certain level of professionalism. Um, and we have to remember how competitive the workforce is. So when you ask 
candidates to do a two, three, four hour assessment on their own time in this type of labor market where another company might just be willing to hire them. You could set yourself up for, for failure. But if you follow the process, right, I do a quick screening interview, five, usually five to 10 minutes. Great. Let me get you on the calendar with XYZ person. They do a 30 minute hey, everything sounds great. So the next step is actually a paid assessment. We pay X amount of dollars. It should take you X amount of time. I'd love to send that over to you with a, a DocuSign outlining you know, the basic terms so you can sign it. Um, does that sound good? Most candidates get excited and go, absolutely. Yeah, sounds great. Right? There, It's a step in the right direction on both sides. Yeah, it gives them a chance to demonstrate uh, their, their know-how, their capabilities. Um, I think that's a wonderful idea. I wish they had that in editorial work. Um, yeah. Uh, turning to the vetting process, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Why is it important? And especially if the job candidate has an impressive portfolio and did well on, on the sample problem, uh, shouldn't that speak for itself? Well, we're vetting for a couple of things, right? So we're, we're vetting for the, the hard skills and then we're vetting for the soft skills. And then in the background is this, this purview, this peripheral view of culture fit. So, you know, we've seen time and time again where somebody might have a great ability to do a certain type of work, but might not have the ability to work within the confines of a team or adapt to that culture. So portfolio and work doesn't always tell process. So for example, if I showed you an amazing design, right? And I said, this is what I did for this client. But what I left out was that there was 27 revisions and it took me two years. How do we feel about that design, right? Or if I told you this took me an hour and I got it right on the first time. So there's the end result. And then there's the process and portfolios are great to give us context, but they don't always tell us the process. And so when we're looking and we're vetting based on a portfolio, I always like to ask, you know, what was your involvement specifically in this project? Right. And we want to hone down on what did you, what you're showing me here right now, was this all you? Did you have somebody above you that was guiding the design? Did you take over a design that a client had? Like there's all these extenuating factors that, provide context, right? I gave the silly example of, you know, two years and 27 or whatever revisions, but it's to, it's to dramatize a point, which is it doesn't show us the process and all the nuances involved. And the other thing is understanding passion and inspiration, especially in the design world is, is really important because maybe there's somebody who I'll give you an example of a client. I won't mention their name, but we had a client and they decided to hire somebody and this person's design portfolio wasn't great. Wasn't great. They looked at it. They were like, oh, no, the problem wasn't the candidate. The problem was the training, the culture, and the standards of the company that they had worked at. This person was completely adaptable. They learned quickly and they were excited by the opportunity to hone their skills. And so if I just look at a portfolio and I say, okay, this is what this person can do without understanding that context, specifically the example I just gave, it doesn't give us the full picture. That candidate, I know for, in, in our, uh, we, they ended up working with that, um, our client of ours, and they're doing amazing. And their skill set has grown exponentially. They just didn't have the resources at their previous company. So the door swings both ways. It can, it can over-exemplify 
and you need to dig deeper, or it could be underwhelming and you need to dig deeper as well, if that makes sense. Right, right. It's, um, yes, talking about a good employee versus a potential leader in the firm, it sounds like. Correct. Okay. Um, what would you say are the red flags that employers should look out for during the vetting process? In the, in the design world, one of the big things is, one of the biggest things we see is somebody who's great, but there's no room for improvement or adaptation. Hmm. So they come in and, you know, they're very confident. They have lots of skills, but it's their way or the highway. And that's tricky to navigate. Um, you know, the, there is a very difficult uh, labor climate right now, hiring climate. So we always encourage when you're going through the hiring process, looking at what I call creative hiring solutions. So I joke that back in the day, I used to hire what I call unicorns, right? So I used to hire for somebody that had all the skill sets that I wanted in a pretty box with a pretty bow. And so the more you can get clear on the specific things that you need in that candidate. And I use the word need versus want, because I used to say, for example, my, my, my company's masonry and concrete specifically. And I used to say, if they can't estimate brick, block, stone, tile, stucco, concrete, waterproofing, grading, excavation, and drainage, we're not going to entertain it. That became a bottleneck for my company. And what I realized I could segment skill sets. I could say, you know what, if they're really good at these three or four things, I can train, grow, and develop the rest. And so I think in the design world, that's important. It's it's setting realistic expectations for who and what you need is one and being flexible, as flexible as you can. And then number two is not falling into the trap of hiring somebody who's really good, but is not a culture fit because you run the risk of bringing them into your company and then losing people that you've had. And it can set you from a struggle to an absolute emergency. That That is something that people really need to keep in mind. Um, finally, now that this design firm that we're talking about has successfully interviewed, vetted, and hired a new staff member, what are some proven strategies for keeping this new employee interested and on board? Well, I'd love to jump back. So one of the things we see is, and and, and if if they're not already doing it, if you're listening and you're not doing this, it's it's a powerful strategy is when you hire somebody, you want to think of that like a sale. And we see a lot, I used to see a lot with, with people uh, that I knew where they would hire somebody and they would say, great, looks good. And they're excited. So they email them the offer letter. And what happens is, is when that person goes to their current employer and they say, hey, I'm going to go work XYZ place. I got this offer. Here it is that person's company may go, well, we'll pay you 10% more above this happens all the time and you don't need to leave. And so when you're hiring, one of the things that's really important is, is not underestimating the candidate's position and what their current employer is going to do if they have one, if they're actively working, what are the challenges that are, are, are peripheral to what you're talking about? So bringing them into your office really explaining and taking the time to make sure that that you know their family's on board that they know what they're getting into that they've seen the company they've toured it uh 
when we, I don't want to underestimate the the word hire because there is a process to it. So I just wanted to include that um, because I see sometimes where, where a candidate says, yes, we're good. Send over the offer letter. But that doesn't mean they're hired. There's a process in between there. Um, but let's say they're hired. You've done that process successfully and they're coming on board. The most important thing is having a clear, there's two main things, the, the onboarding and the setup. So within the first two weeks, making sure that they have the logins, they have access to what they need, all the resources, they have somebody that they're reporting to. Um, you want to set them up for success, especially the first two weeks, right? There's, it's all about first impressions. That's one big one. The second thing is you want to communicate. So you want to check in early and you want to check in often. One simple strategy you can implement is within the first, we do it within the first four months approximately, there's three major check-ins. So if you start working, there's the end of the first day, which doesn't really, we don't really count that. That's But there's the end of the first day. There's a formal two-week check-in, then a formal 30-day check-in, then a formal 90-day check-in. When you preload these check-ins, right, where you're sitting down with, if you're, let's say you, you're you're a sole proprietor, right, and you're bringing in a design assistant or you're bringing in your first hire, right, they're going to help you. When you pre-schedule these check-ins, the nice thing is, is that there's not this heavy pressure of something not working and you needing to pull them aside right away. You've already got it in the calendar. So let's say they're a week and a half in. And you're going, okay, the, these three things are going really well, but gosh, you know, they keep showing up five or six minutes late. They didn't call back this person. Well, the nice thing is instead of saying, hey, can I talk with you? And it's this heavy conversation. Oh, I'm being brought into the, you know, to sit down. What's going on? What is this? Instead, because it's pre-scheduled, you write it down, you wait, and then you sit down and you say, hey, we're, we're, we're at our two-week check-in. You knew this was coming. Here's the things that you're doing amazing. Here's a few things that I'd like to see better and let's check in in a month. And then a month from now, you have it already scheduled out. They're expecting it. You're expecting it. And it gives permission to communicate openly because retention is a big piece of this hiring component. And so when you have, when you have the ability to communicate openly and you create the space specifically before, you know, before when they're on the onboarding, so they know what to expect, it opens up any concerns they may have too. So it's a very powerful, simple strategy. It's And it's a considerate strategy as well. Um, it takes into consideration both the employer and the new employee. That's I really appreciate that, that type of humanistic approach. Um, this has been a great conversation about a topic that's very much on the minds of designers and builders today. Thank you so much, Matt DeBarra, for joining us today on KBB's From the Tap. Thank you for having me. Be sure to subscribe to KBB's YouTube channel and click the like button on our videos. You can also subscribe to KBB's From the Tap podcast on such apps as Apple, Spotify, Pandora, and Google Podcasts. And please feel free to leave a review.